0: Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. And after you finish this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. In this episode, I spoke with Trina Evans, Chief of Staff and Director of the Corporate Center. And Gregory Jones, Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for KeyBank, on what it means to integrate diversity, equity, and inclusion practices in your business and embrace it as part of your culture. We discuss what it means to practice DEI both internally and externally, how to build those muscles, what it means to talk about sensitive topics with your staff, and much more we get started by talking about why it's so important to include equity in your diversity and inclusion efforts. Here's what Trina had to say.
1: I would tell you as a woman, uh, and as someone who has been on this journey personally, but also representing this journey for a company, a company with a proud legacy of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I would tell you without equity, uh, there is no inclusion. Without equity, there is no culture of belonging. Uh, Without equity, there is no real feelings of transparency and trust. And so I think equity is central to this work uh, and incredibly important to the linkage between both diversity and inclusion. Greg, well, how would you look at it?
2: Well, I think you actually hit it right uh, right on, Trina. If I think about the evolution of this work over the many years that companies have been doing it, they started out with uh, diversity and then they started, then they hit diversity and inclusion and equity. is sort of the completion of the equation. Um, This whole notion of all of the things that we've been doing without it and a sense of equity in it is one of the reasons I think a lot of companies have been challenged with this work. Why can't we keep people? Why is there still frustration? And, you know, um, you can bring uh, people on board uh, and you can, who are, who are diverse from a demographic perspective, uh, and you can include them in certain ways, but is there a point in which the equity sort of outweighs everything else uh, and they decide that this is not the place for me or I'm going to move on? So from my perspective, equity is the component uh, that sort of completes the, uh, the overall equation, equation. Uh, in this space.
1: The other thing I would add um, to, to augment what Greg said about you know inside the company, I think outside the company, as a bank, we have both the opportunity and the obligation to create access and equity within our communities. Uh, whether that's in the form of access and equity in education or workforce development, or community development and affordable housing, mortgages to uh, low to moderate income individuals, or or, um, small business startups for people who wouldn't otherwise have a shot at that. I think this notion of equity, this notion of access, really is something that's important inside a company, but also outside a company in every community we serve.
2: Thank you for that, Trina. Absolutely, I agree with that. Um, it is. Um, it, it's, it's sort of our responsibility uh, from an external perspective and helping shape, um, you know, the communities and in and, and our small part, what America will be uh, as we move forward. So um, that component, as I said before, is I'm going to call it uh, no pun intended, is the equalizer of it all.
0: And I love that perspective as well, when, when you mention internally and then externally, because obviously you were dealing with so many different kinds of people and to serve all different kinds of communities. It seems like you would really have to be aware and conscious of this DE&I component.
2: It's, it's true. Uh, and you know, there's a term that I use in, in, as you go about doing this is, is mindshare. Um, you know, we're a diverse uh, uh, organization, we're a diverse country, uh, and there are a lot of perspectives and and, and sort of backgrounds that we're serving from a community, from a client, and from an employee perspective. And there's this term that I use around being diversity uh, literate. Uh, That means to have an understanding of the nature of all of those that we're serving. And when you think about it, it actually... It increases us. It empowers us in a different way. The more that we know and understand, um, the better our presence is in the marketplace from uh, from a serving perspective. So it's really important for us to develop that muscle even further, and it's going to allow us to serve our customers even better.
0: And when we talk about developing that muscle, and again, using it internally, and like you mentioned, Greg, serving your customers better, I think a huge part of that is the culture of an organization. And it can really be one of those things that um, is felt by employees, even if sometimes it can be hard to see. How do you work on fostering this culture and making sure that it feels authentic and real?
2: Yeah, there was, a, I can't remember the, who said this, but there was a term that some executive used that says uh, uh, culture strategy for breakfast. Culture is everything. Uh, it's the operating system by which an organization functions. Uh, it's all of those things that sort of define uh, the character of an organization. So as I think about it, um, we know that our teammates uh, are the core of all that we do and how we treat them and how they Feel on a day-to-day basis uh, will define our success or lack of success, and so and that's primarily driven by a set of values and truly how our leaders behave. So culture is absolutely critical. It is the thing that people, to your point, they feel it uh, when they are interacting with us from a business perspective or the interactions from a uh, from an employee perspective. And it's absolutely important. It's one of those things that you know, over time, uh, you began to sort of take it in and you operate in that way. And I'll be honest with you, it's one of the reasons why I made this choice. You know, I talk, I jokingly talk about 97 days and eight hours being with Key. But as we were going through the process, what I saw and what I felt in the conversations with the leadership was that this was a culture uh, that truly cares. Uh, This is a culture that really wants to do what it says it's gonna do, it lives its values on a day-to-day basis. And there is accountability and checks in place to make sure that that happens. We expect and we treat each other with a certain level of respect. And as teammates, it continues.
1: I think that was beautifully said. You know, the only thing that that I would add to it is that it becomes self-perpetuating. When you uh, create traction, within a culture around a set of values, as Greg said, around a philosophy of diversity, equity, and inclusion, a philosophy of community commitment. What happens then is that your lens for hiring people is a lens that is geared toward people of the same mindset, people with the same spirit, people with the same heart. And so we've created this uh, wonderful uh, place and space um, that is a values-based culture uh, built that is, that is truly more than the sum of its parts. It really is a culture that is geared uh, to be responsible bank, but also a responsible citizen. And it is a wonderful place to work from. But what we're finding is that it is that culture that is begetting um, the next uh, evolution of the culture folks like Greg as he uh, very uh, generously said and I'm so glad he has chosen uh, to join key um, you don't attract someone like Greg Jones who's who's been there and done that and seen lots of things and feels a certain way about certain things you don't get him to join your team an elite resource like Greg Jones if you aren't the real deal and some piece of that real deal is um, uh, about the broader traction we have in this culture, there is this element of strong core, foundational core that is in our DNA of who we are and how we do business.
0: And we've talked a lot about internal versus external and kind of how those two play off each other. So when we talk about culture and how critical it is, how does the internal culture at KeyBank, one that's supportive of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, how does that transfer to the communities that you serve?
1: You know, I I would say that it transfers um, in so many ways. (laughs) Uh, it transfers in terms of what, uh, what we sell, sort of the, the things that we have to offer as a, a bank. So that would take the shape of um, community development, things like affordable housing, things like mortgages uh, for low to moderate income families, things like products and services for the unbanked or underbanked. Uh, it would take the shape of uh, small business startup, uh, making sure that as we're offering these products and services across our broader franchise, that there is equity and access for those who wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity. We have an entire focus, an entire suite of product and services designed uh, to be for clients who need our help the most. Also, There is a huge focus at Key into what I would call transformative philanthropy, and that's where we are in communities investing in access to education, uh, in investing in completion of education, uh, investing in access to advanced degrees or trades. It takes the shape of philanthropy that supports workforce development. Uh, philanthropy that supports safe neighborhoods or revitalized neighborhoods or access to arts and culture, again, for people who wouldn't otherwise have access. Mm -hmm. So I think that when you're uh, an organization with a team like ours, and I mean 18,000 strong from Maine to Alaska, you you have employees, teammates who expect you to walk the talk, not just inside the company, but outside the company. We have an expectation that we will lift our neighbors and our neighborhoods uh, and do our part. We have a role to play and we will play it. And that is something that goes into what we offer as a business, but also how we do business uh, at a very local level. Greg, what would you add?
2: The observation that I made early on, uh, and it's still Sort of impacts me was when we uh, had to jump into and stand up the work that we did around the payroll protection program um, and the commitment and the passion uh, that uh, our employees had in trying to deliver on that program for those businesses that were in need at that time uh, that spoke to me personally a lot about the culture about who we are uh, and the the individual employees that were so emotionally invested into making sure that we provided those things that uh that we could for those businesses that were in need that was a big indicator and a confirmation affirmation uh that i made a a really good decision in joining the organization Uh, that is our culture at work that was our culture at work
0: in transitioning a little bit so uh, the past few months in the United States have um, been incredibly significant when we are thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. What has key and what have you all learned from what's taken place and, and what actions are you going to take as a result?
1: Well, you know what? I'll, I'll let Greg talk to the actions we're going to take um, we, as, as we've been talking about uh, this morning, we have a long history of um, investments inside and outside the company in diversity, in equity, and inclusion—a good track record, a strong track record. Uh, but this is a journey with so much more work to do. And I think for for me, uh, the last few months have been an altar call, a rallying cry. For more um, action and better outcomes. Um, uh, so, if I position myself uh, as a lifelong ally and advocate for diversity, um, I must become an evangelist. I must become more active. And I think in the against the backdrop of the times we find ourselves in, and you know, uh, not just uh, the racial unrest, but the sort of political environment and all of the sort of polarization. I think every company, not just individuals at companies like me, leaders at companies like me, like Greg, but companies have an obligation to uh, stand up, uh, put their voices uh, into the ring, be part of the discourse be part of the change that we need to see, uh, be very focused on this notion that enough is enough. We can no longer uh, uh, see no progress on this. And I think that that's a really important pivot point that we've had as part of this is companies all over the world uh, taking up the cause and assuming the mantle of leadership on this?
2: This is um... Thank you, Trina. I absolutely uh, uh, in alignment with you. This is a transformational period. I'll be honest with you, from a DNI perspective, I've never seen anything like it. And you know, it's one of those things where you have an event, and you some people uh, sit around and wait for it to fade and wait for it to go away. Uh, I'm thoroughly convinced now. This is not going away. The the sort of match was lit. And this thing was an explosion, and what's transpired over the last few weeks has been a tipping point. Um, Our CEO, Chris Gorman, immediately responded, and like a lot of other CEOs, he put a statement out there, but I think it was one with a level of investment from a personal perspective that meant a lot to our employees, and I think it meant a lot to our uh, customers and potential customers. Uh, we immediately followed up with an investment uh, across our market uh, footprint uh, to support organizations that were uh, are, are geared towards uh, focusing on social justice and, and racial equity. Um, we've announced uh, within our company a two-for-one matching for employees who want to donate to those kinds of organizations. Um, and there are several conversations that we started to have inside of the company Uh, in regards to uh, racial equity uh, or social justice and racial equity in general. And it's really an interesting thing. It has been an interesting thing for me uh, to see our leaders step up, uh, create an environment in which uh, they are vulnerable themselves uh, and allowing uh, employees to begin to speak to these things that they care about and allowing others to learn and, and be educated on this stuff. Now, if you take these individual meetings and actions and activities uh, by all of these employees as a whole, it actually shifts us as a company to move even further. So if I think about, you know, all the things that we have been doing uh, historically, this was a little bit of an accelerator, if you will, to actually up the game across the board. And so, you know, those things that I share with you are just the start of the many things that we're going to continue to do. But you know, um, I don't want to downplay the conversation and the dialogue because I've seen things sort of like this before and they fade away. But if I look at the content of the discussions that are taking place in the safe spaces that in the safe spaces that we create in the company for people to share, uh, it always ends with now that we've had these discussions and talk, you know, let's contemplate the actions that we're going to have to actually fulfill Um you know, the commitments that we're making to ourselves and the commitments that we're making to the community. So the million-dollar investment, the two-for-one matching, are just the beginning of what I think is going to be uh, a really impressive journey. And and Key is going to, you know, stand strong in this.
0: And Greg, you mentioned... Uh, the dialogue and the conversations around this. And that's something I was especially curious about because some of these topics um, can be really emotional for people, can be tough to digest, tough to talk about. How do you deal with um, having those conversations and the nuances that come along with it and, and kind of moving it forward in a positive, beneficial way?
2: It's, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because it's, it's a different thing, um, the team, uh, in, in, um, in the way that apparently Key does uh, and, and, and the way we, way we do is created a, a set of tools for leaders to actually do this. Because, you know, for a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people, this is not a natural mode. Um, this requires a high level of emotional intelligence or access to things that you normally don't do or socialize or talk about at work. And so we made it very clear. We tried to make it very clear to our leaders that we're going to undertake these conversations that they're not walking alone. So, you know, as they set themselves up to be vulnerable, um, you know, I or some of our HR people or others were there to be with them and we would they would open up, as I said before, with a very authentic level uh, of vulnerability, of honesty, that encouraged others to join into the dialogue where people will say things like, I had no idea, or I didn't know, you know, I I'm, I'm, was afraid to talk about this, but thank you for giving this form. And so that con- those conversations has energized uh, all of our employees, or a lot of our employees, uh, and it's going to continue. These are incredibly, incredibly difficult conversations to have. But I will also say one of the reasons that DE&I has been challenged all of these years throughout all of corporate America is because these conversations never really occurred. We would play with them. We would sort of rub the surface of them. But when you start to penetrate, you start to get at the source of some of the concerns and problems. And that's when you can really begin to create sustainability around solving them. So these conversations were incredibly important and our leaders stood up and and did them and had them.
0: And what advice would you have for the people listening who are thinking, I would like to take action, I would like to have these conversations or sort of begin to engage in this discussion, but I don't know where to start?
2: I would say you, how do I put this, you you create an environment where you give them permission to do it. And it's a really strange thing because no one wants to really go down this path or talk about it. But once you have one or two leaders that are willing to be the quote unquote role models in this space, it starts to take on... Um, not a life of its own, but if there's a multiplier effect, there's a giving of permission uh, to go there and that's what you, but you've got to find that, that person, that influencer, that can, that can start it. And, you know, it may be a little bit uncomfortable for them, but get them started, give them the right tools and let it be known that it occurred. So others will be willing to do the same thing. Let it be known that, you know, know you're not going to get it perfect you may stumble but that's okay we're going to grow in this space together and that's what this is all about so you got to start and then there are going to be those who may not speak up but they're listening and then they're listening they're learning for the next time Uh, the questions they want to ask the statements they want to make but that's one of those let's just get started let's just get started and you know who's that leader that's going to step forward first
0: We were also joined in the conversation by Barb Smith, the director of Key for Women, who has been with Key Bank for 24 years. She's also the co chair for Key Women's Network, their employee resource group that focuses on advocating for women.
3: So, Key for Women uh, is celebrating its 15th year anniversary this year and um, really does focus on not only women business owners, but leaders and ensuring that they have the access to capital and the support that they need to build networks, to really strengthen their businesses, strengthen themselves, and strengthen their teams. So it's really about advocating, connecting, and empowering women.
0: And you mentioned that it's in its 15th year, which is amazing. How would you say it's evolved over the years?
3: That's a great question. Um, what I would say is that I mean, if you take a look back at you know just 15 years ago, or or let's even go further back, um, you know, and, and I'll take you back until the the late um, or actually the mid 1980s, uh, when at that time and before uh, before the mid 80s, if you were a woman and you wanted to apply for a commercial loan. You needed a male relative 16 years or older to uh, co sign that loan for you. So, you know, that, that's just a short while ago, and we've come so far, yet we've got so far to go. Um, women now make up fifty-six percent of the workforce and and ha- and hold fifty percent of the leadership roles. Um, yet there, we still have challenges with equity. Um, yet we still have challenges breaking into those uh, top ranks, and also uh, have challenges. Uh, at, internally and personally with whether it's imposter syndrome or, or other challenges that, that uh, we have to overcome. So, um, we, we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go. Uh, what I will say is that um, more women are opening up businesses, net new businesses every single day. And um, that number continues to grow year over year. Uh, today it's about 1,800 Uh, net new women-owned businesses are open. Um, Many of them, a matter of fact, 89% of them are women of color. So, um, you know, this whole topic of diversity, equity, inclusion um, also sits very firmly within for Women and the work that we do as well.
0: And you just mentioned, I think, a lot of the things that um, people have talked about in recent years as far as um, can be barriers to women to maybe getting to where they want to be in their career, like imposter syndrome, um, other difficulties. Has there been anything that you've noticed that you've heard from the women you work with that they're feeling empowered by?
3: Well, I would say, you know, certainly when when the Me Too movement began was actually the same year that we ended up relaunching Keeper Women. Um, Not uh, more of a coincidence than than actually a planned event. Um, I will say that um, women support women and strengthen themselves um, uh, with each other's support. So um, I will tell you that the, Woman leader, uh, you know, 15 years ago, compared to the women leader today, is a different person. But they've also had wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, women to look up to, women who have, you know, uh, been those those ones carrying the torch and lighting the way and um, caring as they climb. So it's a different generation. It's a it is a different, but we still have the same. Unfortunately, challenges that exist, um, you know whether it 's unconscious bias or frankly conscious bias um, that, that exist in our society that women have to overcome
0: and I thought it was so interesting that you mentioned uh, the women leaders of fifteen years ago uh, look so different than what they look like today, which then makes me think of fifteen years from today what they 'll look like then. Uh, what would you say kind of is the future for women in leadership? You know, that's an
3: interesting question. What I will say is that whether we look at women in leadership or we just look at it more broadly and look at diversity in leadership, that any company that has a diverse uh, you know board of directors that is diverse like he is a stronger company and um, I see the future being just that strengthening of that leadership and um, the more that we can uh, again transform and become you know, that that we're not talking about DE&I like it's um, you know it becomes a norm versus something that we're, you know, challenging and struggling to deal with. But, you know, it is just every day. So it's not, whether it's a male owned business or a woman owned business, it's a phenomenal leader.
2: You know, to piggyback a little bit off of what Barb said uh, and, and this whole notion of de and um, at the end of the day, you know, when you're in a, I, I hate to use this analogy, but, When you're in some sort of competition uh, and you want to operate with, you know, one hand behind your back or something like that, it doesn't make any sense. You have these incredibly talented people, whether it's women or whether it's people of color, uh, and you're operating out of less than what you can be from a business perspective. It absolutely doesn't make any sense. And so as we socialize and continue, and by the way, this whole process around DEI and i is us evolving uh, as a country, as a people, Um, in socializing differently, uh, you begin to, you know, some of what Barb said, you begin to lose your fear of others that are different. Um, You know, Barb mentioned the women of 15 years ago versus uh, women now and versus women in the future. Um, that's all built around how we were socialized and we're how and how we're evolving and changing. Um, So from my perspective, it just makes good business sense to get the most out of all the people that you have on board. And it's completely, I'm going to call it stupid to do anything less. So we're growing and we're evolving, but, um, but it's absolutely the right thing to do from a moral perspective. But it's also just a smart thing to do from a business perspective.
3: Yeah, Greg, I I couldn't agree more. Um, And and you think about when you look around the table and, you know, when you have that diversity of thought and when you have people feeling um, that they, they, you know, can be vulnerable, that they can, you know, disagree um, and show alternative points of view, Um, it just makes for a stronger uh, organization, certainly makes for a stronger business, makes for a stronger, you know, culture that we live in.
0: Thank you to Trina, Greg, and Barb for joining me to discuss more about how KeyBank integrates diversity, equity, and inclusion into the business and the community in a way that makes a true impact. What is your business doing to make an impact when it comes to DE&I? Let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O at ohiocpa.com. And please rate and review this episode on your podcast app. Thanks for listening.